Kia ora, welcome back. And, um, oh, that was the sound of those, <laughs> the lovely Ollie and Marie from Wa Collective leaving. Um, welcome to Thomas LaHood from Barbarian Productions. Kia ora. I hope this is the right microphone. Yeah. Uh, no, it's looking good. Um, I didn't even get a chance to tell you like how close to be, but you look like you're a natural. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I've been in here before, once yep. upon a time. Yep. Um, to talk about theatre stuff then? or Yeah. In fact, to talk about um, Political Cuts, our, our um, pop-up political hairdressing salon, oh, if I remember right. Fantastic. Yep. Yes. How did it go? Amazing. Super great. Uh, uh, I didn't manage to get my hair cut, but as you can see, I'm sporting a pretty fly mullet at the moment. My, my hairdresser is um, obsessed with mullets, and he is um, Jason Muir, the, the political hairdresser um, from Political Cuts. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was really pushing the mullets. He's really into the Peter Sharples look. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and you've got a bit of that curl going on. That's so. right. Mine's not quite as shaggy as Peter's, but... Um, hey, you've got years ahead of you. <laughs> Um, so you are the head clown at Barbarian Productions. Yeah, that's What does correct. that mean? A head clown, head clown. Well, um, I guess that's probably the highest qualification I, I've received um, <laughs> above my university degree, I would, I would say, on merit. Um, I am a fully qualified clown um, from Bonce International Clown School in Ibiza, uh, Spain, where I studied for eight months um, full time. Oh, what does what's part? What do you do there? Well, you just you just um, well, it's a little village um, in the in the mountains, um, quite far away, unfortunately, from the sort of party scene of the beach um, towns of Ibiza, which is um, a whole different universe. But um, it's just a tiny little tiny little school. Actually, I think they've moved premises. I think they might be in Mallorca now, of all places. <laughs> but um, it's just this sort of tiny little tin shed in a mountain village uh, where a whole bunch of People from all over the world came together um, to, to study clown. And speak the international language of... Si. <laughs> payaso. Of clown? International <laughs> language de payaso. It actually was taught in um, Spanish and English and um, bilingually, and, and consequently my clown is a, is a Spanish Spanglish oh, okay. speaker. Uh, yeah. So do you have one particular clown or are you a few? I tend towards a particular clown. Yeah. Yeah. Who's you that? Know, uh, uh, well, he, um, he doesn't have a name. Uh, he was a clown doctor. He worked at the hospital for a while as a clown doctor. And there he was known as Dr. Overboard. Um, but he really doesn't. He's more just the kind of guy who just disappeared from, come from his little place and... Nobody really know who he is or what he do, so he just is around. <laughs> That's him <laughs> talking now. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Taking over. <laughs> does he do that sometimes? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he does. He does. I have to keep him in a box in my room. No, the um, head clown is just, you know, I have to bring clown to just about all of my roles in Barbarian Productions because I'm I'm a sort of jack of all trades. I wear about four different hats. Mm -hmm. um, so the clown I bring to each of those hats. So I do some work as a general manager, you know, some as marketing and publicist. I do some stuff as a performer. I do some stuff as an administrator and accounts person. So, you know, across those very diverse skill sets, the unifying <laughs> factor is my sort of ineptitude and um, kind of enthusiasm for failure, which is what clowns. But a charming at. one. Oh yeah, <laughs> always charming, always charming. Yeah, 
And I'm sort of 2IC at Barbarian, really, because my wife, Jo Randerson, is the artistic director and kind of head honcho. So for every head honcho, there needs to be a head clown who's, um, you know, ready to fall over at the drop of a hat. <laughs> <clears throat> when things get too heavy? Or? When, yeah, when things are going too well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so you're kind of a family company? Family company, small family business, yeah. um, but growing, growing. Uh, we actually just spent the last two days interviewing for um, three new positions in our in our small theatre company, which is sort of unheard of yeah. in this day and age. Like paid work. Hiring. Holy yeah. moly. Incredible. Um, one of those uh, positions is general manager, which is one of the hats that I've been mm. wearing for years. So I'm very happy to be handing that hat over. <laughs> <laughs> Could be quite... Um, it might be sweaty. <laughs> might be a be little sweating. bit sweaty and smelly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so your motto? Yes. Use yes. what you have. Yes. And that, that, that motto has been with the company longer than I have. Um, Joe uh, started the company back in 2001, and um, it was really a vehicle for her just as a solo artist uh, in the very early days. Uh, she was making solo work, performance works. Um but that motto has resonated through the years, through over a decade now, and um, it remains very close to our ethic, which is um, not to feel like we need to have the best resourcing um, to achieve what we need to achieve, um, just go ahead and, and, and make the work. And so our work ethic is, is really guided by a need to um, create the work, not by any sort of high-quality aesthetic guideline that we feel we need to match. Um, and I think that that has led us to a really great place in um, making work that's actually relevant to people and isn't just sort of um, something that seems glossy and attractive, but then sort of maybe you forget about a couple of months later um, down the track. So I think it's, it's um, a good motto to have. Do you think there's much theatre of that second type in Wellington? Sort of glossy stuff? I mean, no, not really. Um, I actually think Wellington is... Um, I think Wellington's in a really good place theatrically um, at the moment. Uh, but there's always there's always a kind of a, 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 a bit of stuff that gets created that's flabby and tired and boring. Um, yeah. The thing about theatre, I think, I was just th- sort of thinking about it um, today... You know, it's it's a form, when you say the word theatre, you know, people already have connotations attached to it, you know. Uh, I mean, it sounds uh, poncy. Do you know? It's like uh, even the word awesome. art, even the word <laughs> art, right? It sounds, you say, oh, I work in the arts. You know, people are already a little bit like one <laughs> step of like, oh, okay, that's almost verging on sort of hipster artisan you know, produce work. It's what, like how mm. terrible that we've created a society where we can't say where someone it's can't like say. It's like reverse snobbery, artist. right? It's like reverse snobbery or something. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? Because artists traditionally have been the the, the impoverished kind of people who are close to life and spirit and stuff and haven't financially had any luck. And now culturally, they sort of don't have any truck either. You know, like you're, you're, you're actually better off, I don't know, making computer games or something. I suppose that's an art. That's so snobby of me to say that. But for sure, theatre has a connotation. <laughs> for sure, it yeah. has a connotation. And, um, you know, partly for that reason, but also just because we are bored by 
the traditional notion of theatre. You know, we've really tried to take our work out of the theatre venues and out of that world of the limited audience, you know. Yeah. Like the Spring Uprising. The Spring Uprising. Tell us a bit about that. Well, the Spring Uprising is is one of two annual programs that we've created, um, and it's been running for three years now, um, that the intention of which is to build a platform for the growth of art as a more relevant thing for society, for people in society. And so it focuses around... Um, theatre, performance art in particular as a vehicle for social change, as a um, as a an agent for social change, as a um, tool to bring people together in, on a social level, as a tool to um, advocate for um, lesser heard voices, as a tool to kind of, I guess, um, bridge social organization between social organizations that are seeking to create change um also like that's a re- actually a really core aspect of it is to kind of um cross bridges between the performing arts world and the world of other organizations or social enterprises or different people um and find commonalities or find different ways of doing things that that can help to grow everybody's exposure to to the wider world. Mm. Um, can yeah. you um, can you tell us how you think that theatre can contribute to everyday life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the people who are drawn to theatre are the people who feel confident to, oh, for example, walk into a radio station you and just, and on just here, start chit-chit-chit-chit-chit-chattering <laughs> to the microphone without really re- really preparing, you know, just sort of relaxed and um, yeah. ready to talk and ready to make eye contact and yeah. ready to share things. And so often we just like to congregate with our own and have fun together and, um, you know, sing the lyrics to songs really loudly after a few few beverages and kind of, you know, relish in that sort of lovey theatre aspect but what what is really useful for people like that is to bring all their skill at not only communicating verbally talking but also at listening and being able to understand what's happening in a social dynamic and take that to groups of people who are reticent or who uh, maybe for some reason um, have difficulty expressing themselves and lubricate or facilitate or bring uh, maybe bring the sense of stakes down or up depending on you know be able to add some status or drama to a scenario that makes it into a play um, and takes it away from being something forced or stayed or so for example if you have some situation where you want to have a public meeting about some worthy topic um and everybody sits in their chairs and then a couple of people on a panel have a chat and it's all very formal and it's all very boring. What the arts can do is just create a little bit of a framework and maybe subvert that a little bit so that it feels more playful and then you still can have you can still have it quite far from actually being performative, but there's something injected into it that lubricates and softens the interaction and equalizes a little bit and suddenly um, you don't just get the same old boring voices talking. You right. get a little bit more versatility and diversity. And so yeah, do you have like an example from the spring uprising of how you drew out a situation like that? Or well, hard to say. No, in some ways, not really. We um, 
we focused really heavily on um, the election this year and made it an election special. What we did do was created a children's polling booth and that was probably the closest to something using that kind of mechanism to draw out the sometimes unheard voices of children around politics, around social issues. And, um, you know, that was kind of really straightforward. All we really did was offer the mechanism for children to do exactly what their parents do, which is um, have a a choice to vote. And um, then we'd have a conversation afterwards, um, and we facilitated that a little bit by offering them dress-ups so they could wear suit jackets of various um, political colours, but also, (laughs) you know, just some kind of wild anarchisty looking stuff and they could write um, slogans on on chalkboard signs and hold them up and have their photo taken and stuff. So we created a little bit of play after the voting process for them. Um, But just creating that environment, I mean, some children took it very, actually most of the children who participated and there were some 400 children participated, um, they took it very seriously. Mm. So it wasn't actually playful for the children at all, it was very like they to- they were very um, grateful to be offered that platform and that opportunity to have their um, their votes counted, and even like little three year olds and four year old girls, you know, saying like I just really it was really great for me to um, have to have my say, you know, and Aww. it was just amazing, Melt you know, my like. Heart. But then <laughs> and then the parents, you know, witnessing their children's earnest involvement were really moved as well. And then in the wake of that, conversations start to happen that are, you know, um, less guarded Mm -hmm. than you might get normally. So you have all these parents coming in from different communities around the neighbourhood bumping up against each other, and they would never normally talk politics. They'd probably talk all about their children and their children's school and blah, 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 blah. But here they were talking about political party political lines and you know where their kids get their information from Mm. and all of it was really really fascinating Mm. yeah Mm. and also I think that um you know part of growing up is that struggle for independence and being taken seriously right and so for the kids to feel that they were being paid attention to thank you (laughs) paid attention to um in that way about something that they knew was a very serious thing. Absolutely. Incredible. Yeah. You know, and exactly that, you know, kind of just basically, we just really want to break, break the status quo as much as possible. It's so boring, this world and and this country, you know, isn't it? Like a lot of the time, even when it's interesting, it's a little bit boring. So we're just kind of constantly looking for ways to um, break open the edges of that and, yeah, get different voices popping up here and there, you know, unexpected voices. Do you do um, kind of, I guess I want to ask if you do overtly political things, and obviously what you're doing is overtly political, but do you think it's kind of into the territory of activism? I think it is. I think it is. Um, But I would align Barbarian uh, Productions with activist groups more like, say, something like an action station or a, I don't know, um, one of these sort of pan-activist organisations that are more about single-issue mobilising on single issues rather than ideological um, activism because... With projects like Political Cuts and the Kids Polling Booth, we make a really, really concerted effort to make it nonpartisan in the 
in the live experience, that there's no hint that we are trying to push any particular party political agenda. We're not right, trying to back any particular thing. We don't really even communicate, um, start with like, well, what do you think about this X issue? We try to let the people in that space make the offer and then we will facilitate it further and draw out the conversation and even, you know, act as devil's advocate or bring over someone if we can find them with a, with a differing opinion. I mean, actually in Wellington, you know, let's face it, um, most of the audiences that we come into contact with are left-leaning sort of, um, and that is, I think most people attend our work with some assumptions about what our political uh, platform is, where we stand, and, and those would probably be those inferences are, are correct, you know, largely and would be read, but we make a real effort to remove that reference from our work. Um, and I think in general, what yeah, we try to get at underlying questions rather than explicitly political ones. Mm. So, you know, um, but we, I mean, all art is political. All art is political. Um, and the more political it is, the more interesting it is. Do you remember when you first kind of fully understood that um, or realised that um, art can make a difference to people, um, well, to, to the world? Gosh, when, <laughs> when did I first realise that? Well, was there a moment when you're like, wow, I can use this to do this, this and that? Or was it kind of... Yeah, good question. I mean, there, I, I feel like there are like little, certainly lots of little moments um, along the journey. Um, you know, um, definitely discovering clowning was a big revelation in that sense. Um, taking clown out to the streets. So, <laughs> you know, for example, um, oh, no. I have a great memory, actually. Just pinged. <laughs> it just pinged. But it's, it's off the same basis. Going into public places uh, with a performativity in mind is is the crux, I think, of how I see, how I perceive the greatest change that theatre can make in the world. And my first real experience of it was in high school theatre in my sixth form yes. year <laughs> with uh, my teacher, Joe Skentlebury, amazing teacher and a real influence on my life. Um taught a an invisible theatre module. Now, the idea of invisible theatre, I'm pretty sure it came from South America, actually, uh, but you was about creating a dr dramatic scenario around a topical theme and playing it in a real live place without any um, indication that you are performers. So it's sort of like guerrilla drama, mm. basically. And uh, we played out the scene where a friend from my class... And her friend, you know, a couple of people from the class were playing a lesbian couple in a McDonald's in the Porirua Mall. And I had to come in as her brother, you know, outraged and, you know, embarrassed and humiliated, trying to get her to come away from this girl. And you can't be in public showing that you're in a relationship with a woman and, um, you know, have a fight basically in this in this public environment. And... um. Gee, I don't. I mean, people were really staring, and it yeah. was really intense, and it was really thrilling, and it was really like running away um, afterwards, you know, to the to the to the van and like mm. heart pumping, and um, it was very visceral. And 
you know, <clears throat> differently from a lot of the work that we've done since, um, I have no real understanding of how it landed yeah. with that audience. We just basically ran away and left them to it. Um, and, and I'm not sure what kind of influence it had, but it certainly was like detonating a bomb. And to me, in that sense, it was like, wow, this can be something really radical as opposed to um, something really known and something really stayed yeah. and something that people have paid to experience and probably don't want to be threatened by. Um, it was much more challenging than that. And that definitely was really inspiring for me. Yeah. 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 Great yeah. story. Thanks for telling that story. <laughs> mm. Um we're pretty much um, out of time here. Well, good. But, I have to jet um, off to the uh, New Zealand Festival um, program launch anyway. Oh, wow. That's why I'm in my fancy <laughs> pants. <you know>? Yeah. <laughs> the toucan top. I thought yeah. that was for us. Yeah. Oh, sorry, guys, for radio. Yeah. <laughs> Dressed up for radio. <laughs> Anything, um, any upcoming events you want us to know about before uh, we've got we a go? Quite, we've, got quite a quiet, um, we've got quite a quiet year planned, but in Auckland... We're uh, launching our grand opening in the Civic Theatre, which is a massive, beautiful theatre yeah. in January. So if you're in Auckland in January on summer holidays, you should go check out the Civic. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Thomas, for great, coming in. And... My great pleasure. <laughs> yeah, great stories. Um, love to hear it, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you.